All right. Um, Joshua 22. Um, this is a part of scripture that can really help us in a lot of different ways. When there are certain things you read in the Bible and you kind of watch how the different people handle the situation and then you'll have companion verses that, that confirm that this was the right or the wrong way to handle a situation. And so, uh, so an interesting thing happens and then I read something this afternoon uh, just to kind of uh, review and, and and kind of go over it again and uh, it was really really interesting to read just, I read a lot of stuff during the week but then I read one thing this afternoon that I'll share with you at the end that I thought was curious um, but we'll get to that so we're in uh, Joshua 22 <laughs> so Joshua calls the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. You have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days. Up to this day you have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. Now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Therefore return and go to your tents to the land of your possession which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Now the tribes, if you remember, all the tribes kind of got their place and then we saw the cities of uh, refuge and then we saw the cities of the Levites or the the places where the Levites were to go and if you remember and I we've talked about it a couple different times there were two tribes the Reuben's tribe and, and Gad's tribe and half of Manasseh that they had land on the eastern side of the Jordan that they wanted and they asked Moses before they crossed the uh, the Jordan they asked it, can we stay here? And the agreement was what? They would go and fight and they would continue fighting until there was peace. And once there was peace in the promised land, they then had permission to go back to that land on the east. So this is their return back to to what they, they got. So there's a lot of... Um, Lessons we can learn from that, and and um, one of the things that um, I think it's in the book of Ezra um, that in the book of Ezra um, he came to the Israelites, and one of the things that he complained to them about was that they had rebuilt their homes, but had left the temple in disarray. And there was a uh, uh, indication there that they put themselves ahead of God. And so um, we have to seek first the kingdom of God. His work comes first. And 
the world doesn't live that way, obviously. So to, to someone in the world, the American dream is you work hard, you save, and then you, what? Retire. And then when you retire, you, and, and there's a lot of, people make a lot of money on how to get people to retire. And while there's nothing wrong with retiring from the rat race of the world or whatever you might call it, um, the servanthood of, of God is, is a lifelong pursuit. And sometimes we as Christians can still get caught up in this idea of this Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes about all is vanity under the sun and the idea is that everything under the sun apart from God is is really worthless um, so I know that I can get caught up in the worthless things of this world that they become a little bit more uh, important to me than they ought to be. Does that make sense? And so, um, what we want to do is is press towards the mark, right, of the high calling of God, and finish the race, keep the faith, and do those things where uh, our retirement is really heaven. Our place where we have rest is heaven. Not that we shouldn't rest like the Sabbath would choose or not that we can't go out and and enjoy God's creation and enjoy recreation. Uh, but many people, that's the goal. The work is to put money away to do this and to do this. And many things are, are not done. God is very secondary in their life. They go to church and then they don't think about God literally for the next seven days. And these uh, these tribes did the work. They did what they were supposed to do, fulfilled their duties, and now their reward was now they can go back with a clear conscience to what they were doing. And look at um, Joshua. He, verse 5 and 6 are, are really probably the most important ones today in, in a way. So he says, Take careful heed... To do the commandment and law which the Moses, your servant of the Lord, commanded you. To love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it was the, almost the exact answer Jesus gave when they were asked, what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. And then Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So Joshua says, you're free to go, but this is almost something you would tell your child as he goes off to college. You know, hey, don't forget what you've been taught in this home. Don't forget. And he says to him, don't forget to, to, to walk and serve do what the Lord has commanded you and to love the Lord your God to walk in his ways those would be that'd be pretty good advice for your children as they go off into the world and 
and you know Trish is getting married it'd be it'd be a good verse to read at the wedding you know don't forget as you go into your new marriage and verse 6 says so Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their tents uh it was a very common thing for uh the leaders of the children of Israel to bless Israel. Turn, if you will, to um, Numbers chapter 6. This is probably something someone has said to you before. In verse 23 of Numbers 6, let's go to verse 22. The Lord speaks to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them if you ever pray for your children to be blessed you know never pray that god would shine upon them and that god would 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 bless them and and you know when job in chapter one offers sacrifices for his children in case they had sinned that god would forgive them and so we were uh uh met with a friend of mine today named uh marty and uh we we i don't know liz we we met them right when we first came to the area and so our kids were around the same age and and trisha was literally an infant and uh so we were just talking about our kids and them growing up and then we just had a word of prayer for our kids and we're just praying that god would bless them praying that god would lead you know nathan to find a career and for jonathan and his wife and for trisha's wedding and that's what we do we just ask to bless them and that's how god instructed moses to make sure aaron did that and so i would imagine that moses or joshua when first six we'll go back to joshua 22 that that might be the exact thing he said to them may the lord shine upon you and may he bless you in all that you do keep his commandments um Verse 7. Now half the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan. To the other half of it, Joshua gave a possession among the brethren on the other side of the Jordan westward. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them. And he spoke to them saying, Return with much riches to your tents. Excuse me. With very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, with very much clothing, divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, half the tribe of Manasseh, returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of of Moses. So, can you look back in your life and count your blessings? You know, and and 
sometimes you look at even though I don't I don't think Liz and I um, pursued material things uh, I, I don't think that that was a major focus in our marriage in our life um, but man we certainly have accumulated a lot of material things you know and and, and uh, yeah, where there's just a lot of things and when you go to that closet and you got all kinds of shirts and pants and all kinds of things and, and it is a, a God truly has has blessed us beyond what we th- thought we could ever be blessed with and and so they are returning with the fruit of their labor and the blessings not that the fruit of the labor is material things but there certainly it comes with it um and certainly, there's other blessings. Even just you know, 38 years of marriage. That's that's. You say that to people today, and they just go, "What? How did you do it? What happened? How does that even work?" And it's it's a more common thing in the body of Christ for sure. Um, so now we're going to get to the interesting part of this, the part that's really going to kind of help us. And the rest of this chapter deals with misunderstanding and conflict and and really the proper way to handle conflict and so in verse 10 they came to the region of the Jordan which is in the land of Canaan the children of Reuben the children of Gad and half of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan a great impressive altar uh, and Larry, can you read the last part of verse 10 in the Old King James? So it says a great altar to see to. And so the the literal term, and then New King James changed it to a great impressive altar. And Stannis, you're saying anything different? And And so the literal translation is something everyone could see. It, It is it was so massive and big that you couldn't miss it. It was just an altar that was built in order to be seen by all is the literal translation uh, of the kind of Hebrew words and there is a um, you can go on online and, and click in Joshua 22 altar and there's been archaeological findings I think they found it and it's just uh, basically a big flat kind of a tower kind of a thing uh, but it's it was meant to make sure that you wouldn't go away and you couldn't miss it and so um, so now you have and it was on not on their side of the Jordan it was on the Canaan side of the Jordan um, so the the real misunderstanding in this is the word altar uh, because to build an altar uh, on the side of the Jordan, uh, there's only two reasons why you would build an altar. What is an altar? Well, you offer sacrifices. Uh, so 
they, they've already been instructed by God that there's only one place to offer sacrifices. That's the tabernacle, and that's going to be in Jerusalem. It's going to be, uh, even before it's established, the, the temple wouldn't be built yet, but you would still have the tabernacle that they had in the wilderness. And there was very strict. We went through Deuteronomy, and we went through, we know what the... So, so the other reason to build an altar would be for the worship of a false god. So, this is where it, it it doesn't really make any sense what they're doing if you get hung up on the word altar. So, let's read on. Uh, verse 11. So, the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, half the tribe of Manasseh, have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan and the region of Jordan, and the children of Israel's side. When the children of Israel heard it, with the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. So they build this altar, and immediately the, all of the tribes on this side of the, of the Jordan are going to go to war against, there's going to be a civil war. They haven't even had peace for who knows how long. And now they're going to go to war with each other. Long enough to build a big altar. And what was the purpose of the war? It does. It seemed like as they were worshiping another god, and Israel had already got in trouble for that before. And so, there, verse 13, so, so what is the proper thing to do before you go to war? Yeah, go find out what's going on. What, why are you building? What is this thing? And so in verse 13, there was a, a man named Phineas, the son of Eleazar the priest, to the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and a half the tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead and with him ten rulers one from each of the chief house of every tribe of Israel and each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel so he said hey before we go kill these people let's go find out what what this is all about so they came to the children of Reuben the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh verse 15 and the land of Gilead and they spoke with them so they've got to go across the Jordan because that's where they are. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this that you have committed against God of Israel this day to turn away this day from following the Lord in that you built yourself an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord. So Phineas shares with them how this looks. And it doesn't look good. They have built this massive, giant altar. And nobody really knows what it's for. So they jump a little bit to conclusions. But it is a logical conclusion. What else would you think it was? Uh, so they go and they tell them this was an iniquity. Verse 17. Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us? from which we are not cleansed till this day. Um, so the iniquity of Peor, um, 
It's in Numbers chapter 25. And what happened was the, um, the Israelites took Moabite wives. And the result was 20,000 were, over 20,000 uh, were struck down by God. And it was Phineas who cried out. If you read the chapter, it was Phineas who cried out for them to stop and turn. So Phineas has this memory in his background. And he's, the, the motivation of these Israelites and Phineas is to protect Israel from the wrath of God. And it's no different than, than we would cry out for abortion to stop in our country. Because if, if we don't cry out and beg God for mercy, then God has every right to strike our country with judgment and wrath. Uh, to, to, it's, it's one of the most horrific things you could do to, for your own children to be sacrificed basically for pleasure of, of yourself. And so, um, so what we do is we have to take a stand. We have to cry out. We have to preach the truth because we are begging God for his mercy and Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do kind of thing. And so they're going and saying, look it, don't you know what happened last time we strayed away from God? And I think that these tribes have a little bit of a bad reputation anyway, don't you? Well, they don't even want to be in the promised land. What did Josh, uh, Joshua warns them? What? When you go over there, because it's it's just like you know, we go off to college, especially if you're not going to a Christian college, you have warnings. And they're going away from the promised land. And they say, look it, you still got to come over here to do your sacrifices. You still got to go over here and keep the commandments. You can live over there, but this is your home. Don't once you get away. And so I think some of the people said, well, I knew it. I knew it. I knew as soon as they got away from here, this is what they're going to do. So he says, the iniquity of Peor, verse 17, is enough for us, which were not cleansed till this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord, and that plague is the one that, that killed 20,000, but there's still ramifications from the sin. But you must turn away this day from following the Lord. It shall it be if you rebel today against the Lord that tomorrow he'll be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. You're going to get us all killed. You're going to get us all in trouble. And so, when you are concerned, he went to them and said, Look, we have a history of God pouring out his wrath and many innocent people dying because of the sin of one person. Remember the sin in the camp of Achan? So, Let's turn, if you will, to Matthew 18. Because in Matthew 18, that doesn't change. Matthew 18, verse 15. It says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained a brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two or more by mouth of two or three witnesses. Every word may be established. 
If he refuses, tell to the church. If he refuse it, even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen or a tax collector. So there is a premise of when someone is caught in a sin or someone sins against you or you see somebody that is 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 walking in, in a way they ought not to walk, you go to that person for the purpose of warning them and encouraging them and hopefully again you do it privately and hopefully they'll and sometimes it's a simple misunderstanding and in this case it was a misunderstanding so let's look at verse 19 he says nevertheless if the land of your possession is unclean then cross over the land this is such a good verse this verse watch this really carefully nevertheless if the land of your possession is unclean then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take possession among us but don't rebel against the Lord nor rebel against us by building yourself an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God did not Achan the son of Zerah commit a trespass in the accursed thing and the wrath fell on the congregation of Israel and that man did not perish alone in his iniquity so he says a very beautiful thing to him they say the assumption is that they got across the Jordan and began to because Stan's right it wouldn't take it wouldn't this thing wouldn't have taken an hour so they would have had to build it long after they crossed it and kind of come across and built it and so the assumption is by uh, Phineas that they got over there got caught up with false gods and now was building an altar and he's and he says don't and he says a beautiful thing let me read verse 19 again he says if you've crossed over the land and and your possession is unclean well then come back over to our land cross over to the land of possession where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take possession among us I want you to think about that statement he says take possession among us so what is he offering these two and a half tribes? They would have to give up part of their inheritance. Everything's already been mapped out. And he's not saying to them, look it, we don't want anything to do with you. Get out of here. He is saying to them, look it, if you guys have fallen into these false gods, because remember Achan... When Achan went and took that one item and all of a sudden a bunch of innocent people died because there was sin in the camp. He says, but look, at come with us. We'll take you in. And this is the ministry of restoration. If you go to a brother who has a fault and you go to that brother with the purpose of, even if you your language is sweet, but if the purpose is, oh boy, this I'm gonna this, I'm gonna make this person feel so bad, I'm gonna pour some guilt, I'm gonna pour coals of fire on his head, or whatever it might be, and you're not going to take part in helping, because if you go to a person that's, and you say, look, I'm really concerned about your sin, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing, 
and they say to you, you're right, I've fallen, I just need some help. I need some help with this. I need to be restored, and I need some help. Would you help me? No, I don't have time to help you. No, you're on your own, buddy. But just remember, I caught you. So you're just basically now the sin police, where you're supposed to be in the in offering a place of, of restoration. You might say, well, maybe you can be somebody could be an accountability partner or something like that. So this is um, uh, written out in Galatians chapter six. If you, you can turn there, or you can just listen. Um, Galatians six verses one through four says, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one into a, in a spirit of gentleness. So again, your purpose is not to aggressively point out people's sins. I, I've had people say, you know, we, we don't like these people and we don't want them in our church. We're praying that God would take them out from this church. That's not the ministry of restoration whatsoever, is it? It's just the opposite. So you go with a spirit of gentleness. If you can't do that, if you can't be gentle, but you're angered, don't go. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Do you see what happens? When you're just mad, and then you go with this kind of a haughty spirit, of I'm gonna get this I'm gonna make this person feel terrible for what they did. They deserve to feel as bad as I do, don't go. But if it is, I'm really concerned about this person, that they're heading down the wrong direction. By the way, it's not always received well. Bearing one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So if you go there thinking that you're better than this person, you shouldn't go. But if you go thinking, I, I've been down that road, it's not worked out well, you need to be restored or encouraged. But let each one examine his own work, and then they will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. So we see Phineas going, and we know that he had a spirit of restoration because he was offering that they were, they were going to get less land if these people all came back across. And he, they were willing to sacrifice for the restoration of their fellow Israelites. It's really, really, to me, beautiful. It's just a beautiful thing. And so let's go back to Joshua. So now we see what the misunderstanding was. So the children of Reuben, verse 21, the children of Gad, half the tribe of Manasseh, answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, He knows and let Israel itself know. If it is rebellion or if it is in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. So they start with, God knows our hearts. He knows what our motivations were. And if our motivations were wrong, may he not save us. Come kill us. We deserve to die. 
but we have built ourselves an altar to turn we if we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord or to offer a burnt offering or a grain offering or to offer a peace offering on it let the Lord himself require an account we promise we didn't do this if this is this, if this is what you think we did may the Lord require an account we are willing and this is what happens when there's a misunderstanding you just state because the truth is the only one you really are going to answer to is God and so sometimes people will question your motivation I have not done things in the past because people have questioned my motivation that I believe God wanted me to do but I'm so self-conscious of being judged or, or I'm not too good with criticism and so I'll just not instead of getting criticized or, or misunderstood I'll, I'll chicken out on doing things um, they said in fact verse 24 we have done it for fear for a reason saying in time to come your descendants may speak to our descendants saying what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel so here's their motivation they fear that in the years to come people will not remember what they did and why they were on the other side of the Jordan and that generations will assume that they are separated from the Israelites and therefore they're concerned that their children and grandchildren uh, may be misunderstood for the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us and your children and Reuben's and children of Gad you have no part in the Lord so your descendants would make our descendants cease from fearing the Lord therefore we said let's prepare and build ourselves an altar not for burnt offering or sacrifice but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings with our sacrifices with our peace offerings that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come you may have no part in the Lord so this is the part then there's a lot of different um, writings on this to me it, it was more of a memorial than it was an altar that it was built just like the, the stones that were built and God told them to build it so that the generations to come would when they see it that what is that oh that was built by Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh, you gotta, they fought for us, and they, even though they live over there, they're still part of us. They can still come over here and offer burnt offerings. Um, therefore, verse 28, we said that it will be when they say to this or us or to our generations in time to come that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made though not for burnt offerings or sacrifice, but a witness between you and us. So they got to talking and, and thought, well, what if years to come, they, because we don't live over there, they don't let us come make 
offerings on the altar. And they said, well, let's build a memorial. What should we build? Some rocks? Pile them up? Let's build an altar. That will be an, that will be a reminder that we have a right to go to the altar of God because we are Israelites in good standing. Probably not the best idea, right? Probably not an altar. Um, but that's what they built. I don't think they were ever planning on They kept saying, we're not going to offer anything on it. It's just an altar. And then when people see it, oh yeah, that's right. They can come to our altar. That's years to come. Um, verse 29, far be it from us that we would rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings or grain offerings or sacrifices beside the altar of the Lord our God which is before his tabernacle. No, we know. There's one altar. It's in the tabernacle. This one is just a replica. It's just a fake. We're not going to do anything with it. Uh, but it does look bad when you got this altar, this random altar in, in the same place where the Canaanites and the Perizzites and Hittites all had their altars. So it, it does look bad. And so it was a massive misunderstanding of what they were doing. And they're not lying here. They're, this is what they were trying to do. Um, and so what, go ahead. That's a really good point. You, you, you would think a, a conversation before they started building it would have. We, we, I don't know if they got over it. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, and then go to Phineas or Eleazar and say we're going to do it, and they might say, well, maybe not build an altar. Why don't you, you know, a big stone, build something? You know, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, which which will bring to the to the final thing that we'll talk about when I get there, because um, that's an interesting point. Um, the good thing is verse thirty, when Phineas the priests and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the divisions of Israel who were with him, heard the words of the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the children of Manasseh spoke. It pleased them. Oh, okay. Now we get it. Okay, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's not bad. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. Oh, okay. We're not in any danger. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the rulers return, and the children of Reuben and children of Gad from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel who brought back word to them. Okay, everybody, it's good. When you see the altar, tell your kids, tell your grandkids, it's not there for any worship purpose. It's just a replica to remind us that those guys over there can come over to the tabernacle during all of the offering services and, and do what they need to do. They're still part of us just because they're not with us. So the thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God they spoke no more of going against them into battle to destroy the land, and the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness, for it is a witness between us 
that the Lord is God. And I think the uh, Old King James is it, Ed. It's a very interesting E.D. We're going to call this altar Ed. Yeah, it is. It's a teaching tool. Um, but then I read this commentary this afternoon. I won't say who was by. This person who I I read quite a bit, like him. Uh, but he had two pages on this last verse on the word Ed. Two pages on on trying to convince everyone with these two pages why what they did was such a sinful act. And I thought it was really interesting because and I was and I read it very carefully and I, and I it got me a little bit haywire a little bit because I wanted to make sure I wasn't missing anything. You know, did something happen in books later on in which this altar caused a problem? And uh, so it's it's interesting how even now there was a th- this altar. It's got a, something wrong with this. We get the war, get the people. We're going to war. We're going to go get these guys. Obviously, what happened is they got over there. They fell into false idol worship, and now they're going to build this. And if they worship an idol on that thing, you remember what happened with Achan, and remember what happened when in in Paris. We're in trouble. So let's go. Well, let me go talk to them first and, and let them know. Give them a chance to repent. And uh, are you guys willing if they come over here, offer your land? Yeah, we'll let them go. Hey, what are you guys doing? Don't you know? Don't you remember all this stuff? Oh, no, 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 no. That's not an altar. It's it's a replica. We call him Ed. <laughs> and it's just what we have there so that in the generations to come that, that there's a reminder that we're still with you, that our, this is, our altar is the one in the tabernacle. And then everybody goes, oh, okay. Blessed be God. Praise the Lord. This is really great. And then you know, thousands of years later, we're still saying, oh, no, no, no. What they did was wrong. They shouldn't have this altar there. And so, but you, oh, how do we know if, there were, if they did something wrong? Well, you would have to have God say it, wouldn't you? God would have to say, you know, take that thing down, get rid of it, or somebody would, they'd start losing battles, and they'd go, what happened? Well, it's their sin in the camp. Somebody went in there and built that altar over there, tear it down. Because we don't see that, we're still making assumptions. And if we were connect this to um, Sunday night's lesson, which if you were here, there were some John, when they saw the man who was blind, and the, you remember the question that was asked? Who sinned, him or his parents? We still make assumptions. And and we've got to be careful. Get the whole story. If we're going to a person because we think they're doing something that's wrong, we want to go there with the mindset of restoration and the humility to hear them out just in, and if we're wrong, then just admit you're wrong. Say, oh, that's better. Okay, I was thinking, you know, and, and uh, there was, uh, I don't share the details on it, but there was, I remember for the longest time, there was a couple that was coming to the church, and I was really struggling with 
the fact that they were living together and they were kind of getting more and more um, wanted to be more and more involved and I thought oh, I'm going to have to, to and uh, and so I thought and I, and I mentioned it to someone I said I'm going to do something I'm really concerned about it, the fact that they're living together and I said well they've been married for like six years I said what? And I don't know where I heard that. I heard, I heard they were not married, but they had been married for longer than they were going to this church. And it, instead of just asking somebody, it, it bothered me probably for months. And just because I had false information. And uh, so it's really interesting. So, anyway. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for direction, for encouragement in these verses, Lord. And, and we are sometimes going to get wrong information that needs to be corrected. Sometimes we ourselves are going to be misunderstood. And and the Reubenites, they were had a clear conscience of what they were doing, able to, Lord, express very eloquently uh, their reason and purpose. Whether or not this altar was right or wrong or, or a mistake or not a mistake, their intentions surely uh, were not. Father, we 